exploding across the world, this link between diet and mental health. And if you think about it in the 20th century, we've seen heaps of shifts, global shifts in dietary intakes. We've seen people emigrating to other countries and sharing their cuisines. And we've also seen a shift toward more processed food generally because it's convenient and easy. And there have been there has been the commercialization of this convenience food. So there are certain nations where people are eating more sugary food, more fatty food more high calorie or high energy food and snack foods. And at the same time, that means they're eating less fiber and they're eating less nutrient dense foods. So people are getting sicker, fatter and hungrier because they're undernourished. And this is especially the case in younger generations and people who are busy and looking for that convenience. We don't have the luxury necessarily of cooking or having time to shop. So there's a huge shift towards this convenient, busy lifestyle and away from healthy home cooked meals. And the greater question to ask, I suppose, and that I want to talk about today is what impact does diet have on mental health? I want to explore some of the latest research with you that links the two things and to talk about some opportunities that exist in the health coaching space. And the starting point for this episode, I suppose, is the global research from nutritional psychiatry. We know that a lot of the common mental health disorders are associated with chronic health conditions. And we know that lifestyle behaviors like eating habits are intrinsically linked to physical health. Same with exercise and sleep and other things. But recent research is defining these relationships more clearly and it's also revealing opportunities to improve mental health through diet. It's an emerging area generally, but also specifically in coaching. Nutritional psychiatry is one of these emerging fields and it recognises that consistent link between better quality eating and a reduced risk of depression and anxiety and mental health disorders. And probably most of you listening to this podcast are familiar with longevity research and the good mental health associations around the blue zone diets. So think about people from Ikaria and Okinawa, those sorts of areas. And that strong association between longevity and good mental health and diet is supported by research. There are a few examples of this. And I'm just going to give you a few of those examples so you can see what's being done in this space. A recent study of Norwegian men and women following traditional Norwegian diets found that there was a more favorable level of mental health compared to people on a typical Western diet. And that was the case even after the study adjusted for variables like age, education levels, physical activity, smoking and alcohol. So even when you remove those things from the equation, diet made a significant difference to mental health in those Norwegian populations. Further, an Australian study of 8,660 healthy men and women showed that a Mediterranean-style diet was associated with lower psychological distress as measured by a K10 score, and that's a general mental health questionnaire that's available. And then further, a systematic review of both observational studies and interventional studies in nutrition and bipolar disorder found that the intake of certain nutrients was linked 
with a reduction of bipolar disorder symptoms. And that's pretty interesting. So those nutrients were omega-3 fatty acids, folic acid and zinc, and there were also promising results for coenzyme Q10 and probiotics. You've probably heard about that gut-brain superhighway and the link between gut health and brain health. So it makes sense, right? And a lot of studies in the past have shown definitely that lower socioeconomic circumstances partly explain more eating, poor eating habits and depressive symptoms. For example, if you don't have much money or education on healthy eating, you're more likely to make unhealthy choices. We know that. But there's also evidence that depression, for example, is directly associated with long-term exposure to an unhealthy diet independent of socioeconomic status. So some of those factors don't necessarily hold true for the effect of eating on mental health. It might not be just about your age or your gender or how much money you have or what conditions you were raised in or your level of education. So what does this mean for mental health? Well, let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture of lifestyle factors. Right now in mental health, medication, exercise, and psychological intervention are all used commonly to treat and manage mental health disorders. They're the key players with a lot of evidence behind them. But the research findings from nutritional psychiatry show that healthy eating is another really impactful ingredient in maintaining both brain health and by virtue of that mental health. And it's really important that we recognize the links with the rise of mental health disorders and body weight during the COVID-19 pandemic and apply those learnings in practice. We know that a lot of people were suffering psychological distress, but we also know that eating habits weren't as good and that people were eating more and gaining weight. So this is another one of those things that is a trigger for us to do something about eating habits generally. And it's really promising to see that the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatry guidelines for 2020 and in the UK, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence guidelines from 2022 are both now recommending dietary improvement and other lifestyle modifications as a key part of the treatment for mood disorders. It's a really positive starting point to augment all of the existing approaches for mental health, like psychiatry, psychology, medication, and exercise. But there's more that can be done on a day-to-day -day basis to improve eating habits and food choices towards better health, lifestyle, and productivity. And this is where an opportunity for coaches comes in. One scenario is in the workplace. And the question is, can employers pay a role, play a role in better eating habits and where do, where do coaches fit into that? We know that most of the time dietary changes happen in your own home or in a medical setting where a doctor or a dietitian has advised or recommended certain changes. But outside of that, think about it, we spend 40 hours a week at work. There are definitely opportunities for workplaces to be involved in improving the eating habits of the workforce for better mental well-being, for better productivity, for better focus and concentration, and for better general health. If you're spending so much of your waking time at work, it's definitely an area where we can look at to make a difference in the eating habits of the population. And 
how do you get into that area? You know, if you're a coach, how do you approach your workplace? Well, right now, it's actually an employee's market. There are thousands of job vacancies and employees have the pick of their job and employers are looking for ways to retain employees or attract employees. And employees are looking for workplace benefits to entice them or to make it worth their while. So this means that perhaps the opportunity to improve health is a value add that you can bring to a workplace that you can help an employer with. And what does that value add look like? Like how would you actually go into a workplace and help to improve the eating habits of the workforce? Well, obviously you'd need to make those connections through HR, through your contacts, through networking um, to get into the workplace in the first place. But you would be doing a needs assessment to find out what's going on there right now and what sorts of things do they think they need. And from there, you'll be able to figure out some ways to package up a few different services that suit that corporate market. In other words, there are lots of different ways you can add value to workplaces in terms of employee nutrition, but your starting point is to work with the company to figure out what they think the priorities are. That's the coaching way. Here are some examples of things that are working well and that are commonly adopted by workplaces. Firstly, educational and coaching programs are really important. Employees need to understand the benefits of healthy eating and that empowers them with the knowledge to develop habits. A lot of people do actually know what to eat, but they may or may not know about the impacts of different food choices. And even if you don't have a dietetics or a nutrition qualification, you can deliver education based around public published government guidelines in an interactive workshop style arrangement, like a lunch and learn environment or a workshop. So finding out what people know when introducing them to guidelines or any other educational content is definitely a way to go. Some people are working in rural or remote places or working with companies where the company provides the meal, such as a mine site where an employee lives and works on site and is fed on site. And in that context, one offering that you could help to make is to help them develop a strategy to improve the nutritional quality of foods that are offered by the workplace. In some mine sites, they have a star rating on their dishes. So three stars is less healthy and five stars is more healthy. But there might also be an opportunity to reduce the availability and the quantity of unhealthy options and focus more on the healthier options. And that would be a really important consideration in a place where employees don't have access to healthy food other than what they get at work or they're needing to manage the temptation of unhealthy food. So either of those could be a way to look at that sort of scenario. Another option is to look at where coaching fits in the context of routine medical clearance and fitness for works or health checks, where employees' body weights and waist to hip ratios are measured and also mental health. Those things can indicate nutritional health and it might mean that there are the opportunities to be referred to a dietitian or to a health coach to support behaviour change. 
So if you were to go in and partner with an employee assistance program or a medical service that an employer uses, that could be another way to add value around the health checks and help employees make behaviour change at the individual level. Another thing that you can do is to run workplace challenges. It might be a weight loss challenge or a healthy eating challenge or something like that or an alcohol-free challenge, but that creates this team supportive environment that gives people a chance to work together and get support from peers to improve their eating habits. Of course, individual coaching is also appropriate in that whole scenario. The evidence is really clear that eating habits play a significant role in brain health and mental health. And aside from medical or psychological support programs, there are lots of opportunities for coaches to help organisations improve the eating habits of their workforce and consequently improve work performance and employee satisfaction. So if you're a coach running a business that focuses on either nutrition or weight loss or mental health, there are plenty of opportunities for you to approach workplaces and to offer a package of education and coaching support services that will boost employee health and well-being. Citing the statistics and research, as we've discussed earlier about nutritional psychology, is a really good way to position your services to employees in the first place and to get their buy-in. And it answers that what's in it for me question. Why should I buy coaching? People don't know what coaching is, but when they can see what the problem is in terms of the statistics in the workforce and they can understand how nutritional intervention can help, that might be enough to get them thinking about the services that you offer and the value of those. So just to summarise today's episode, we talked about some of the groundbreaking research in nutritional psychiatry that demonstrates the link between nutrition and mental health. I talked about a few opportunities for employers to have an impact on employee wellbeing, especially right now where it's an employee's market and everybody's trying to retain their staff. By presenting the facts and figures on the impact of nutrition on mental health and performance and the problems that exist, and by outlining some really affordable opportunities for employers to offer a value add, you're in a great place to position your businesses as valuable and to help you enter the workforce and coach there more easily. I'm going to include a few references on nutritional psychiatry in the show notes for this episode in case you're interested in learning more. But for now, thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and please leave me a rating and hopefully a five-star one at that. Thanks for being here and bye for now.